Welcome back to another episode of Spirit and Sound. I'm Alexa Homan, and thank you for tuning in. This episode is the final episode of this podcast, and I want it to be a catch-all for some important people and interviews I conducted throughout the journey. I found that everywhere I went, there were people connected to my research question. But first, I'm going to backtrack to the West Grove for a special segment. Originally, I included this segment in my episode about the Black Churches, but I thought I should save it for the last episode. Like I mentioned, my work on this podcast led me in completely unexpected paths. I came to find out that community outreach and Black Churches walk hand in hand. I met some really important people, but let me introduce you to the church that led me to them. Christ Episcopal Church is a historically black church that was started in 1901, so it's a little younger than Macedonia. This church was started by Bahamian immigrants, so it's considered a historic site in the West Grove. I went to an Episcopalian elementary school, and I could really see the Bahamian influences on their service when I compared it to what I was familiar with. Christ Episcopal is a pink building with two towers that frame the front door. The inside has beautiful stained glass windows with designs that include a black Virgin Mary and Jesus and important African-American men and women, like Martin Luther King saying his I Have a Dream speech. The service had a combination of organ, piano, and choir. I recognize all the songs in the format of the service, but there were still some moments that I was surprised by. Again, Gordon and I were the only white people in the church, so I felt a little out of place for most of the service. But, at the very end, I had half a dozen people come up to me after the service to introduce themselves and welcome me. The sense of community was overpowering. I'm Thelma Gibson. The main reason I came to Christ Episcopal was to talk to Miss Thelma Gibson. Miss Gibson was born in 1926, which means she has sure seen a lot of the Grove. Her grandfather was the second person of color to buy a house in the West Grove area after he moved from the Bahamas. She lived through segregation and she saw the KKK march through her neighborhood. She became the first black nurse hired by the Miami Jackson Memorial Hospital and married Reverend Theodore Roosevelt Gibson the presiding pastor at Christ Episcopal Church in 1965. She remains a devoted member of Christ Episcopal Church, though her husband has passed away. I was not the one who loved music so much. It was my husband who loved music so much. Music was so important to him. And when he died, we started the Gibson Memorial Fund. And I said to them, the one thing I wanted to do was to give Christ Church an organ that we could be proud of an organ that had chimes and things that you could just enjoy music. And I say, not so much for me, but for my dead husband, (laughs) who loved organ music so much. Music has been the soul of our churches, pretty much. 
throughout all generations. As you get older and you can't do the things that you're used to doing, but you come and enjoy it anyway, and especially the music. And whenever somebody's playing that organ and they really play it and play all the keys, you really get the music uh, in a different kind of way than you do otherwise. I could tell you. Well, you're a pretty incredible woman. So. Oh, I don't know about all that. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted more for this community. And so I say to young people all the time, uh, just be sure to worship and have the faith. Miss Gibson has been an incredibly active part of the black community in Miami. She has spoken out against the problems of gentrification and other pressing political issues that often get smothered. Her organizing the donation of the organ demonstrates how music, religion, and community are often intertwined. This is clear from even looking at the stained glass windows, the two kings, MLK and Jesus, standing next to each other. Miss Gibson opened the door to the connection the black churches have to the broader community. This entire project took a detour, thanks to Gordon, introducing me to the Ministerial Alliance. The Ministerial Alliance is a group that meets with political leaders in Miami to discuss how policies might affect the community. Monthly meetings include representatives from all denominations, schools, social service organizations, public safety units, elected officials, and everyone interested in bringing unity and improved living conditions to all of Coconut Grove. This alliance is spearheaded by church leaders, ones that we already know. Reverend Robinson attends the meetings and relays the information back to the members of the church and also acts as a representative for the parishioners. This stream of connection is incredibly important, as I came to find out. A lot of times, policy and legislation changes are not voiced to the public, and by then, it's too late to do something about it. The West Grove has been historically marginalized, and though aid has been provided, it's not enough to stop the familiar issues that are so present throughout black neighborhoods in the U.S., I dropped Miss Gibson off at her shotgun house two blocks from Christ Episcopal, and she reminded me that there are very few houses like hers left. I went to a ministerial alliance meeting with Gordon. The meetings have been virtual for the past two years, which incentivizes more citizens to join from their dining rooms, like Gordon and I. Fortunately, yet unfortunately, I attended a very interesting meeting. Ken Russell, the city commissioner, was there to explain the sneakily made plans to redistrict South Florida. Ken Russell is the commissioner for District 2, which includes my house and the West Grove. Right, he's the city commissioner who has a lot of people that have been very helpful to the West Grove. He has been an eager participant of the Ministerial Alliance, always giving information from city council meetings that would have otherwise remained private. In this case, there is a very shady attempt to remove the West Grove from District 2 to District 4. Most of the meeting was spent processing the heartbreaking news and planning on how to spread the word and fight against it. District 4 is a majority Latino community, and I don't want to get too political here, but the members of the meeting were firmly set against having the commissioner of District 4. Here's my concern. 
if the West Grove is cut out of District 2 and taken into District 4, uh, it's currently in a very diverse district. Uh, district 2 is quite balanced between Hispanic, white, and black voters. If the West Grove is taken into uh, District 4, District 4 is currently about 90% Hispanic. And what that means is your, your voice as a block, as a community, will get diluted. We're working really hard uh, in District 2 to keep Coconut Grove on the map because, as you know, this, the pressures of displacement and gentrification uh, by the market forces definitely is going in the other direction. That was Russell speaking. And for most of the meeting, concerned citizens and leaders like him problem-solved the issue. I can see that they were successful. The West Grove is still in the District 2 map. The fact that this community had to hear this incredibly last minute at this meeting goes to show that this communication is vital. Later, we learned that a writer for the Miami Herald attended the meeting and exposed the plans to redistrict. I'm hoping that this airing of the city's dirty laundry was the reason why no lines were redrawn. It still is part of the city, and it still is part of the CRA, so the funding, all of the new tax increment that's generated within the CRA boundaries. I wish I could just play the full meeting, but that would double the time on this episode. Now we're on to the next segment, I met a lot of people, by coincidence, that happened to be big parts of my project. For example, Gordon, but we'll get to him later. I'm saving the best for last. Firstly, I'm going to introduce to you someone I've known for a while, Archbishop Favalora. The Archbishop retired in 2010, but I've known him for a while because he volunteers at the soup kitchen and convent that my family goes to. My family's been going to the soup kitchen for a while, and we've become really good friends with the bishop. Yeah. Certainly got a lot of carbohydrates today. Yeah, my favorite. Wait, we've got potatoes and spaghetti and plantain chips. Yum. Well, I think music is is an expression of beauty, and beauty is one of the marks of God that we think about. Anything beautiful is supposed to remind us. If that's so beautiful, God who created it must be more beautiful. At our elementary school, they would say that singing is 10 times better than praying, or two it's times like, better than... It's like singing is praying twice or something. Twice, yeah. Yeah, yeah, twice praying. Yeah. I think he said it best. By chance, my family got invited to the Mass for a 60th anniversary of ordination in the St. Mary's Cathedral. St. Mary's is not in the Grove, but it's the first cathedral I've been to in Miami. The music at the cathedral was such a stark contrast to all the other churches I went to. There was a loud organ and angelic choir. There were Byzantine and Gregorian chants. The cathedral was so large that echoes bounced around all the walls. All the grove buildings are smushed into little tiny plots of land. I think their smaller size gives them more charm. Or at least, you feel closer to your neighbor.
And now on to the final segment. I think I would be doing a grave injustice if I didn't have Gordon speak on this podcast. I want to repeat again that he has been my savior. I found out that starting very, very large projects is no easy feat. I had a lot of difficulty trying to take the first steps on this podcast. For St. Hugh, I was able to manage well enough on my own. But Gordon led me through the project without being overbearing. He let me ask all my questions and then asked intelligent ones of his own. He introduced me to everyone, no matter where we were, but let me explain my project in my own words. Of course, we ran into some speed bumps. Originally, I had hoped to interview people from Plymouth Congregational Church. Ironically, Gordon's contact was given to me in hopes that he would take me to a Plymouth Church service. I learned that some things happen for a reason, and some don't happen for a reason. I wish I could have interviewed someone from Plymouth, but I'm overjoyed and perfectly content with all the content I have right now. I think that all the people I've interviewed have explained eloquently, with their own language that reflects their experiences, about religion and music. I just wanted to ask one more person. As you ready? <laughs> yeah, music, as I'm sure you found out, uh, is different in each of the churches, whether they're Black Baptist or Episcopalian or uh, Congregationalist, like Plymouth, which is the church that I go to, that I'm a member of. Uh, and I love the variety. And I guess that's still the part that I that I like is the variety. And that's why I continue to go to Plymouth as a home base, but am more than willing to take anybody, particularly to Macedonia because it's our sister church, mm-hmm. but even any of the others, as you know, walking into wherever we walked into, everybody welcomed us. You found me, (laughs) and I found you, because (laughs) I really enjoyed doing it with you, seeing it and hearing it. I've been thrilled to just be whatever small part of it I can. Thank you. Is Is that good enough? That was perfect. Okay. It's bittersweet to be finishing this project. I don't think I've ever worked for as long on something as I have on this podcast. But that doesn't bother me. I didn't know what to expect when I began writing the proposal for this project half a year ago. Nothing could properly sum up my experience. I've been to other church services, and I know I'll go to more in the future, and my favorite lines from interviews just replay in my mind. Music, to me, is emotion put into sound. It speaks better than language because its message is felt and heard at the same time. Reverend Ford believes that music is a vehicle for religion because it was created for that purpose. Father Valley believes that music reveals more about religion than language ever could. Carolyn Donaldson believes that music is a form of celebration and praise. Music and religion can be something consoling and comforting to people. Combined, they can offer solace or improve your mood. Music can be a way of connecting people with their faith. Personally, I think music connects people to each other. Every service I went to, I felt more comforted by a joyful song or a truly beautiful verse. There are songbooks that you can refer to so everyone knows the lyrics. It feels like something that we all do together, to praise, celebrate, console, listen, learn, and love while participating in a religious service. Just experiencing this community made me realize how little I knew about the area around me. I'm leaving next year for college in Massachusetts, but I realize now the importance of outreach. 
Music and religion have taught me that you can belong in any community that shares the same values as you. I want to go into politics or foreign relations, and that's thanks in part to the Ministerial Alliance meeting. I almost wish this was a lifelong project. I think these churches, their music, and their outreach should be shared with the rest of the community. A final thank you to you, the listener. Thank you to Dr. Scholl and Dr. King. I wish you all the best. Thank you, Gordon. Your unfailing kindness will never be forgotten. See you later, Alexa.